Hi, this is Pastor Ricky Temple. Welcome to our Dad's Day. Today we talk about dads. When you try to understand God and you try to figure out how he works, one of the things you can do is look at what he creates. He created women, he created guys, he created mothers, he created dads. Today is Dad's Day, and I'm going to talk about something that I think will be a blessing to you. On a Father's Day Sunday, we talked about the importance of dads and how to understand why God made dads. There's some reasons why God made fathers, and I want you to stay with me. I've been one for a long time, and I want you to know there are a lot of lessons I've learned. I'm going to look at five dads today. That's right, five dads, briefly, that will show you five important insights about dads. It will give you some insight that might help you understand your dad, and it might also help you understand if you're a father struggling. This has a great two-sided power to it that will help you today. Stay right here on demand. This is going to be real good. I'll pray for you all on the other side, so stay right there. I pray you see the value of a dad and what they bring. This is Father's Day, and I got my red tie on. I wanted to make sure I put my red tie on today because I wanted to be sure that I was honoring dad. That's right, I got my red band on. And I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I just said, you know what? I wasn't color. I want, I want to celebrate being something that God called me to be. And that's a dad. I'm proud to be a dad. I have two great kids, two. Christina, who's my youngest, and Ricky Jr., RJ, two great people. And I got a little grandbaby, too. She's cute, Milani. But I am thrilled to be a father, married to a great woman, Diane. But this is not Mother's Day. It's Father's Day. And sometimes fathers have a lot of feelings. It's interesting when you're a dad. I have what I call the dad tax. I don't know if you ever heard of that or not, but it's, I call it the dad tax. This is the tax you pay being a father. Sometimes you have to pay more, and sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's emotional, but it's an interesting story. And I think a lot of dads struggle. They struggle with balance. Am I doing a good job? I know I have, still have to think about it often, but I've learned something that's really simple. If I operate with Christ as my example, I'll be a better dad. There's a statement in Ephesians 5.22, which is interesting. Um, it describes Christ, and in Ephesians 5, you can read this on your own, uh, it goes through this entire uh, discussion from chapter 5, verse 22 down. It, it describes the role of a father, and a husband in particular. It says, wives are to submit, verse 22, to their husbands, Ephesians 5, 22. As you do to the Lord, verse 23 says, for husband is the head of the wife, is Christ is the head of the church. Now, people read that and they go, oh boy, see, God gave men, dads, fathers, the power and that's not what this is about. And Because if you listen to the rest of the verse, Ephesians 5, again, 22, here's what it says again. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he, Christ, is the Savior. The description of Christ in Scripture is that his function as a leader is to provide salvation. And if you go on through Ephesians 5, he basically compares the role of a father to that. The father's provide protection. That's what the word salvation means. There are people who, if I can give you the four words for, the, for this word, saltir in the Greek for, for uh, savior, it means deliverer, salvation, preserver, protector. That, those are the definitions that I want you to think about. When Jesus comes into your life, he says, I come as the protector, preserver, deliverer, salvation guy. I'm the one who delivers you. I free you. If I'm being compared to that role, if I'm to be like Christ in my home, then I'm to be, guess what, the person who brings salvation, not bondage, deliverance, 
preservation and a sense of protection. It's a safe place. That's the bottom line. And so the role of a dad is to provide a safe place. He is to provide a place that's sort of like a savior place, if I can call it that. The place the savior lives. You should come home and say, you know, dad is amazing. What dad did for me stepped in and he, he had an incredible impact on my life. I've heard this story uh, so many times over and over of how a father made a difference, how a father opened up a door, guided them through a hard time. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because my dad's with me. And it's rod and his staff comfort me. He prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. This whole sense of fatherhood is about protection. Now you say, well, that's been blown. My dad definitely didn't do that. Well, that may be true. But I often think dads uh, don't for reasons. I always want to know the dad story. What didn't the dad have? And did the dad not learn how to be a dad? And maybe he was young and didn't quite get it. Doesn't justify anything. Doesn't explain away anything. It doesn't remove the pain, but it does at least put it in some context. And so as a father, I try to look forward in my life and say, what can I learn? Now, the best way to learn about daddying, fathering, is to look at other fathers. And so let me take you on a journey with five guys, five fathers that I found in Scripture, five guys. And I thought I'd just go to the book of Genesis, look at the first five guys in the book of Genesis who were, like, prominent. And there were five of them. And you might remember them if I say them, so I'm going to give you a list. Here we go. Five guys that I want to look at, and I want to look at just simply how they impacted their families. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. So if you look at Adam, you look at Noah, you look at Abraham, you look at Jacob, and you look at Joseph, you'll learn five great lessons. Each guy models something. Now, there's a lot you can say about these guys, and this summary is not perfect. But I think you can understand God by looking at them and how they interacted with God and how God interacted with them. And that's the whole point of this series, to help you understand, understand the God we love. And if you look at how God interacted with Adam, for example, you learn some powerful lessons. The first man he created and how Adam was a, a uniquely challenged person. He came in the world alone as a single guy and he lived through a season that was painful. Romans 5 describes it. If you read it on your own, you can see this was a man who, who failed. I mean, that's just, he was a man who failed, but, he, but in the end, he recovered. Romans 5 describes it, that he basically recovered, Romans 5 and 12. Let me read the text to you so you can kind of see his story. Remember, he was the guy married to Eve. They were in the Garden of Eden, if you're not a Bible person. And the Bible says that God told them, you can eat anything in the garden, you can do anything you want, but just don't eat of this tree. And it was really an opportunity to give man a chance to choose who he wanted to serve. And the tree was a symbol. And so when man decided, no, I don't really want to do what you say. My wife and I agreed together that we're going to eat this fruit. We're going to go contrary to what you say. When that happened, all of mankind fell apart. And that's oftentimes how it happens. You make a decision, and that decision changes everything. Well, in Romans 5 and 12, it comes back together. So here you see a father who failed, right? A man who fails, but then you see a man who recovers. And that can be your story. Look at Romans 5 and 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, one man, he, he was, it was one guy who won. It was really important for this one person to say no, but he said yes. And so the Bible said death through sin came in the world. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. 
One guy came, one guy, but then it goes on in Romans 5 and says that Christ came and redeemed all of us, and it was all turned around. But it all came through one guy. Adam was the guy who didn't make it right in the beginning, but he made it right in the end, and that can be you. Secondly, there's Noah. Noah lived through a flood season, but in the end, he saved his family. He lived through a, a strong season where there was this horrible, horrible outcome that came because of rebellion in the world. And you start seeing it in Genesis chapter 6. And there's this, this story that the Bible tells about how one man, one father stood up and saved his family through the flood. That could be you. Thirdly, then the story of Abraham. He lived through a, an adult, an idolatry season. He came from Ur of the Chaldeans in the latter part of chapter 11 of Genesis. He came from Ur, and in Ur, they were idol worshipers. His family were idol worshipers. But he came, and he, in the end, saved his entire family. One guy, one father, one father. Notice the theme, one dad. One dad changed everything. Thirdly, look at Jacob. Jacob lived through a deceitful season, and he, he was abusive. He was abusive. Abused his brother, lied, lied to his father. And in the end, he ran into a lot of problems in his life. But if you read Genesis chapter 32, he changes. His whole story is profound. He has this in chapter 32 of Genesis, verse 24. There's this wrestling with the angel moment. Dads have those moments. You know, he was praying one day and, and this, the Bible said an angel grabbed him. And there was this wrestling match. It was that moment in his life when he said, I need to change. And, and there was this powerful changing moment in Jacob's life. He walked away with a limp from that wrestling match. And in that moment, his entire life changed. All of us fathers can relate to a key moment when we wrestled with God. Here's a guy who was a dad, one dad, who lived through a moment, a season of being deceitful, not being honest, but he changed. And so can you. And then lastly, there, there is not, not only Jacob, but there's Joseph. Now, Joseph is just incredible. He's a light to all of us. His story is from Genesis chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50. Big chunk of Genesis covers this guy's life. You have this incredible story of a guy who basically was abused, left by his brothers. But he was a guy who, in the end, saved his family from a famine. You can have a hard beginning, but a great ending. Sometimes your hard beginning is really designed to help people. And I'll tell you more about that later. Joseph had this way of seeing things. He became a father, and, and all that he went through made him a better father. Some of you have been abused. That might be your story, but you could be a better father. You, you can take that abuse and learn something great and become something great. But I want, if I can, take, a, take those names and spin them around a little bit for a minute. I want to go back to Adam. And I want to make an observation about each of these guys that takes you into their life from another angle. I've always been amazed at what you can learn when you look at men and you just say, what are they like? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Each of these five guys has a weakness. Each of these five guys has a strength. Let me make an observation about each one that I think is going to help you as a father. And it might help you understand your father. Because some of you really, you've got a, just a really bad taste in your mouth about your dad. And some of the things I'm going to say, you say, that's my dad right there. That's him right there. That's, that, that's him. That's his weakness. But I want you to just, just listen to me for a minute and just watch these simple observations. And I want to make one observation about each of these five guys. Some of it's going to be good. Some of it's going to be not so good. But just listen to these observations. 
And if you're a dad, see where you fall in. See, what, see where it lines up with you. The first guy I want you to look at is the name is Adam. First thing I want you to notice is Adam is described, in my opinion, as being silent. If you ask me, what do I notice or observe the most about Adam is he doesn't say much. There's not much recorded. If you look in the Bible for Adam's words, you're not going to find much at all. As a matter of fact, he's not mentioned. He doesn't say anything in chapter one, chapter two. It's not until chapter three of Genesis that he speaks. And what he says is not that impressive. He's active. He's described by the narrator, Moses. He's described, but he is not really active verbally. His wife is far more verbal. In chapter 3, she says a lot. She has a conversation with the serpent. And there's this incredible thing. If you, if you read the story before, you see this, this conversationalist back and forth, the serpent. Should I eat the fruit, not eat the fruit? God said, no, God didn't say. And there's this dialogue, but the guy is quiet. The silence of Adam is deafening. Let me read a text for you. It's interesting. Verse uh, 8 of chapter 3 is when he speaks. Then the man and his wife heard the, uh, the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said these words, Where are you? Now, now, when you think about this, this is the first time you're going to hear Adam really talk. Where are you, is the question. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and the first thing the man says, the first recorded words were, I was afraid. <laughs> As a guy, man, I'm going to tell you, that's, that's powerful to me. I, I was afraid, first thing he says. Then the second thing he says, I was naked. And because I was naked, third thing he says is I hid myself. I think to be truthful, a lot of men are still afraid. I think a lot of men still feel naked. And a lot of men are still hiding. Three things. First words. I, I read this as a dad and I'm going, oh, God, Silence. And it's, let me tell you, you know, when he finally breaks it, this is, this is emotional. This is, this is hard to even, even describe. He, he is not verbally present. He goes on in verse 11. The Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Two questions. Watch his answer. I ask you, who told you you were naked? He's not going to answer that. I want you to notice he says, did you eat from the tree? He is going to kind of answer that. Here's what he says. Verse, 11, verse 12. The man said, the woman you put here with me. I didn't, go get, I didn't ask for her. The one that you brought to me. Notice he's already deferring. He's blaming. He's like, I, you brought her to me. She gave me some fruit from, that, from the tree. And I ate it. But you gave it to me. Remember that. First words, he's blaming everyone but himself. Is that you, bro? Now, here's what I want you ladies to be careful about. My husband needs to hear this sermon. This is the message that he needs to hear. I don't need you to do that today. 
Because here's, here's what's really painful. Remember the guy's first comment was, I'm, I feel naked. I'm exposed. And, and, and a lot of guys, you know, I heard a guy say this to me one time so powerfully. He said, one of the greatest fears I have is that, if, that somehow a woman will look behind my wall and see how afraid I am. My anger, the drinking, the drugs all hide my nakedness. The, the, the stuff that I buy, the cars I drive, the money I make, the suits I wear, the ties, all that hides my nakedness. Problem is, the longer you live with somebody, the more they're going to see your nakedness. It's just, you just run across it. In family life, you run across awkward moments where you see what you don't want to see, open the bathroom door, run into the shower. Things happen. You just go, oh, man, I'm sorry. I apologize. But when you love a person, when you deal with the person, nakedness is going to happen. And the Lord goes right after Adam to deal with the silent pain he's going through. And the goal is to help him be free. And I want to tell you, when I read, when I read this, I thought about myself and I said, boy, am I, am I too silent? This guy was silent when Abel killed, was killed by his brother, Cain. This guy is silent. He, doesn't, he just doesn't say anything. You know, I say, well, Pastor, what do I need to say? My wife says everything. I don't need to say anything because she says enough for both of us. Maybe so. And that's the sermon I'll teach on Mother's Day. But today, let me say this to you. Say something. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be mean. You just need, need to be, be present. Participate. One of my words my daughter loves to use, participate. There's something about participation. Just, just a little bit more. You may not can do a whole lot more, but just a little bit more. Just somewhere in the room, participate. Somewhere in this process. Not dominate, not boss, not yell, not scream, not take charge. Just participate. She gave it to him, the fruit, by the way. He ate it, but there's no record of him saying, babe, what, what are we doing? There's no record of him stopping this. This could have been a great leadership moment for him, but he didn't say anything. Just let it happen. And if you're not careful, you'll just provide and be silent. Or you won't even provide. You'll just be silent. The house is filled up with trash, dishes, clothes, out of order, and you say nothing. You fuss. But, you know, but I've learned that saying something isn't always about verbally saying something as much as it is about being, being a participant. Clean up the kitchen, help out, participate. It's a powerful concept, a powerful thought, and we could spend the rest of our time here, but I need to move on to Noah. In Genesis chapter 5, the second guy in our study is interesting because I consider this guy to be courageously brilliant. Oh, goodness, God, have you ever, ever really taken a hard look at Noah? This is a guy who's pr profoundly committed. He is uh, strong when you study his life. In chapter 5 verse, uh, of Genesis, verse 28 through about chapter 10, I mean, there is a lot of information about Noah. And that's not just a flood. He, this is a, he's a genius. He, I mean, th there's, a, there's an exhibit that shows the ark, and if you've never seen it, you need to go look at the ark, the ark exhibit. It is phenomenal in Kentucky, I believe. It's phenomenal. And what you come away with is the dude who built this was somebody. This is no bumbling guy. This is a guy who spent years building this huge ark that had this tremendous capacity. 
and he is a father. And he's building the ark for a reason. Catch this now, to protect his family. When the rains would come, he was told, you need a place to protect your family. Fathers were designed to do that. Our job is to build, a, build a, an ark for our family, a place of security and safety, not a place of danger and risk. I look at Noah and I ask myself, am I that kind of father? Am I the kind of father who's building a nest? And let me just say this, that's not about going to work either, and that's the trap. The temptation is to think, all I got to do is go to work. You know, just go to work, bring the check home, pay the bills. That, that's not an ark. An ark is more than that. It's more than just a place, a house, a car, a vacation. It's a culture. He raised up boys who helped him build this ark. He raised up a family that have a certain way of thinking. He, he had a, a, a way of a perspective. He wasn't perfect. His kids weren't perfect. But it, my point is, he understood his role. Do you see yourself as building an ark? Pastors need to see themselves that way. And that's another sermon. But, but think about this guy and look at your life. Are you silent? Are you building an ark? And our third guy is Abraham. Are you an example of faith? The faith of Abraham is what stands out the most about him as a father. In Genesis chapter 11 through Genesis chapter 12, you see this tremendous guy, really, really from Genesis chapter 11 through Genesis chapter 26. Let's get this right. There, this is a guy who gets it. The big portion of his life is covered from chapter 12 of Genesis to chapter 26. And, and there's a statement about him that really is powerful. In Genesis chapter 6, he's described, I'm sorry, chapter 12, he's described as the guy who believes God. He leaves his father and mother and he, he, he goes to this new promised land. He was in a place full of idolatry, but he left all that behind. He left his family, he left all of that, and he came to serve the one and true living God. And there's a statement in Romans that describes him, Romans chapter 4, verse 3. It describes him in a way that's pretty simple, pretty plain. Here's what it says. Abraham believed God. That's it. This was the guy who believed. You look at his life, he believed. I can look at a father and see if he believes or not. The Bible says that's what was credited to him for his righteousness. That's what, was, that's what made him right. I, I, must, I must model faith, faith in God for my family. That's part of me building the ark, by the way. That's part of what I need to verbally say. I believe God. I believe God. My role as a father is to be a model of faith and confidence. A lot of times the problem is you believe in your way, the Smith's way, the Barnard way, the Temple way, more than God's way. This was a guy who, a father who modeled faith. And then the last guy, well, two more guys, then there's Jacob. Now, Jacob is a guy who was interesting. He was... Um, he lived a long time outside of faith in God. He, he had faith in himself. And so he manipulated, deceived, did all he could. That was how he fathered. Showed favoritism, caused great division in his family. And his story is in Genesis chapter 25. It starts about verse, and it goes through chapter 25 all the way to chapter 36. This is the guy who's incredibly... Um, carnal for many years. He doesn't have faith in God like Abraham did. He didn't have any faith in God's way. He believes that jump in there, take charge. Genesis 25, 
through about chapter 36. That's all you see. He manipulates his brother. He steals a birthright. He is just a trickster. He runs into an uncle named Laban who about taught him how it felt and he changed. And then he had this wrestling match with God and he changed. He became a changed guy. But by that time, he had infected his children. And when you get to chapter 37 of Genesis, you see the, the, the brothers, the sons of, jo of, jo of Jacob were abusing Joseph, who was our last father. Because of Jacob's deception, it leaked over because of Jacob's lack of believing. It leaked over and his sons began to abuse he ignored his grandfather's example, Abraham. And he became this man of, of, of make it happen on my own, of take charge, didn't care. The end result was Joseph, his grandson, his son rather, was abused. But Joseph, despite the abuse, is a father who models faith. How does a guy rise out of a, a deceptive family full of division and strife where they hated you, like Joseph suffered in Genesis 37, to be a man of great faith and great confidence. Joseph was the key that saved the family. So let me tell you a couple of things about him that I thought were fascinating. So he's 30 years old. He goes, well, let me tell you the story. Some of you may not know it. He, he was, first of all, 17 years old, sold into slavery by his brothers. They lied to his father for years. And he ends up in Egypt in slavery. He ends up being abused, and wherever he goes, God prospers him and blesses him. But when he finally turns 30 years old, God, through a series of miraculous events, he rises to become this great leader in Egypt. He had this interpretation of a dream. He interpreted it for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh promoted him to be the second in charge. So when you get to Genesis chapter 41, this guy, Joseph, is 30 years old. He's already lived 13 years in, in prison and he's already been a slave unfairly by, treated by his, by his brothers, sold into slavery. But he's a 30-year-old single guy who's living holy. Think about that. That's a whole nother sermon. Here's a guy who's 30 years old who's living right. He's not sleeping. He refuses to sleep with Potiphar's wife. That tremendous story of how his boss's wife tried to hit on him. He said no, ran out of his jacket. They lock him up in prison again. And while he's in prison, he interprets a dream. The king hears the interpretation. He gets freed, and then he rises to be the leader in Egypt. Amazing story. And as a reward for interpreting the dream, he's given a wife. So in one day, in one day, this guy in Genesis chapter 41, verse 45, this guy rises to be, watch this now, he goes from being a prisoner, a single prisoner, right, to being a ruler, to having a wife in one day. Talk about Zoom. All of a sudden, his entire life changes, and now he's about to become a father. A man who rises, he marries this tremendous woman, and he obviously, and she was an idol worshiper, by the way. She would, they, her father was a priest who worshiped the sun god. But when Joseph came into her life, he ended up with two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Two sons. Aspenath, his wife, was given to him. Listen, listen to this text, Genesis 41, 44. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zarephanath, and he gave him a wife, Aspenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest at on. 
And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old, 30 years old, when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. What was that like, man? Are you traveling around? A few days ago, I was in jail. Now I got a wife. Got the old boy. This is, I mean, this life totally changed. This is a guy who, in the middle of all of that, saw God rise in his life, and he said something as I close in the birth of his children when he became a father that was prophetic. Here's what happened in verse uh, 51 of Genesis 41. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. There are three life-changing lessons from this response, and I want you to see them. This is a father now. He has children. Watch his response. Some of you have had a life that was hard. You've had a difficult time, and you can't forget it. Joseph said, first of all, I'm going to forget what happened to me. He taught us that. And some of you fathers need to do that. You spend all your days telling all the sad stories. I rarely tell my kids sad stories. I don't tell my kids all the bad things that I might have experienced or heard about. I try not to load them down with that. I'm trying, I, 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 the Bible said, forgetting those things that are behind me. And for some of you dads, that's the best advice I can give you. And some of you are married to men, and what you see in them is caring stuff. I've even seen you know, children say, I'm going to tell my dad, I'm going to meet my dad, I'm going to tell my dad about what happened and why he didn't support me and all that. Listen, you might need to have one of those conversations, maybe, but let me tell you something, it doesn't solve all everything. At some point, you have to put that stuff behind you. Joseph models that for us, forgetting all that happened behind me. Third, secondly, he taught us to believe it, that I can be fruitful again. He, he was in, you know, he is a guy who's lived all of his life in this bondage, and he's near 40 years old or 41, depending on how you count, but about 40, 41, when finally all this settles. So from 17 to his 40s, he's living in pain. Finally, his brothers, you know, repent and all this stuff, and you see that in a minute here. But notice, this is the guy who says, I can be fruitful despite what happened to me. And dad, if you give up on being fruitful, if you stop believing it's possible because of your story, you spread that poison in your family. Remember, Abraham believed, believed enough to move, believed enough to leave idolatry. Remember, it's something about a dad speaking up and saying, hey, listen, we can get past this. And that's what Joseph did. He, he moved forward and he named his kids to prove it. And then thirdly, watch this, we learned this from him. He taught us not to allow abuse to blur our vision. Some of your vision is blurred because you still dwell on what happened to you. I love this. In Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter of Genesis, verse 20, there's this conversation that Joseph has with his brothers because now their dad, Jacob, has died and they're fearful that Joseph was going to get them all back for selling him into slavery and all the years of suffering he went through. But here's what he said to his brothers. I love these words. He said, you intended to harm me. He's clear about what their intentions were. He didn't lie about it. He said, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
There's that salvation again, right? God's goal was to help me save you, deliver you, protect you. That, remember what I said in Ephesians 5 and 22 through 23. That's why God made fathers. Jesus came in the world to save us. He says, I can't, God made me who I am today to deliver you. Verse 21 of Genesis 50, he said this, so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children and, the, and be reassured. And he reassured them, brother, and, and spoke kindly to them. There's a dad for you. <laughs> That's a guy who gets it. Do you? That's a guy who can see. Can you see on Father's Day? Can you see the future? Stop being so silent. God needs you to respond today. Let me pray for you. Father, let this be a moment where this father listens to me, speaks, and says, I, I hear you. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name the healing power of God would happen in his heart and mind. May he see himself today. In Jesus' name. I can, I can hear you thinking. Some of you might say, well, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really, really sure this helped me. And some might say, well, <laughs> you see, Pastor, my, my, my dad wasn't there. So, I, I mean, my dad's not going to listen to the sermon and respond. Yeah, but learn from, from Joseph. Don't let what happened to you abuse or blur your vision. Still believe that God's hands on your life. God took all those bad things that happened and worked it out for your good. Some of us don't have a great story and a long-lasting life story with our dad. Some don't have that story, but God can bless you beyond what happened to you. Joseph modeled that. Whether you be a daughter, whether you be a son, whoever you be, God can redeem you. And then I can also hear some of you fathers saying, well, all right, how can I save my family now? Things are out of control. What can I do? You can learn from these five guys. If you're the father who didn't do all you should have done, here's what you can do. Speak up now. Do what Adam didn't do. Speak up. Speak up before you bite another piece of the fruit. Secondly, you can be like Noah and build a new ark. You can build something new. You may not could have built it when they were young, but you're a grandfather now. Build it now. Do something for the grandkids. Thirdly, believe like Abraham. Start believing God, not just yourself. Do it his way. Act his way. And then maybe you could be a person who listens to advice like Joseph, like Jacob, I'm sorry. Jacob changed and started telling the truth. Stop being deceitful. Stop being a person who doesn't tell the truth. Learn from Jacob's life. So say something. Don't be silent like Adam, right? Build an ark, right? Be a person who believes like, like Abraham and be a person who tells the truth. Don't be deceitful anymore. Decide that's not going to be true. I'm not going to be deceitful. I'm going to wrestle with God here and change today. And then lastly, I'm going to be a person who operates in the wisdom of God. I'm going to do what Joseph, Joseph modeled for me. I'm going to invite God's wisdom into my life. That's what you can do as a dad. And so wherever you are in this story, I want to pray for you today. One more prayer. Father, I pray for healing for those who were hurt by their dad. I pray for dads, secondly, Lord, who feel like they failed their family. And I pray for you to build an ark of healing in this family. I thank you for this opportunity to be in the presence of your people. And I pray that this will be a healing moment in Jesus' name. 
Next week, we're going to continue our study talking more about God and talking about how to understand the God we love. And I want to show you the final part of this study in this series is misconceptions. There are three misconceptions that people have about God, and I want to share them with you. People misunderstand his grace. They're not sure how far God will go with them. They misunderstand his temperament, what he gets mad about. And they also misunderstand his will. What does he want you to do? I think this whole the will of God thing gets people confused. There are a lot of you that are still waiting for the will of God to be revealed to you. I'll show you some of that next week. It's going to be a great study. I want you to leave today inspired to say, Lord, I'm going to take what I have in my hand and I'm not going to live with the sense of failure any longer. I'm going to let it go and I'm going to trust God. My name is Pastor Ricky Temple. I've enjoyed being with you. I hope you were blessed today. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Rick, what I heard today spoke to me. I need God's grace, which you're going to talk about next week. I need, I need to know that God's not angry with me. I need to know that God's hand is on my life. I need, I'm a father who failed, and I need God to redeem my children. I need God to fix my heart. I pray that you would say to yourself today, Father, Lord, come into my life. Let this be the moment that I surrender my life to you, that I change, that I let you change me because I can't change myself. And may this be that beginning moment in Jesus' name. Let that prayer be the beginning of your walk with God. Let that prayer be the start of a new life that you walk with God hand in hand. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to simply do something right there on your screen. There's a a, a sign that's going to come up that says, I raise my hand. And what that means is I'm surrendering my life to Christ. I want to start a life with the living God. If you want to, just type it right there in the chat live, and one of the staff will send something to you to help you start your life with Christ. I want to put something free in your hand to help you start your walk with God. I believe with all my heart that your life can change and that you can be different. Life can be stronger and better. I'll see you next time right here with me. Well, I hope that helped you today. I pray you were blessed by that. I hope you saw the strength and the wisdom of Scripture come alive because God laid it out for you. He did not compromise. He showed you five dads and all of them struggled in some way. But they also brought great deliverance to their families in other ways. So it's a great study. Don't you dare miss it, my friend. Okay, apply, strike, boom. Try it again in five seconds, you ready? In five, four, three, two, one. Well, I pray you were blessed by that today. You saw five dads in living color. You saw where they were weak, you saw where they were strong. I hope you take this and apply it to your life. I love the fact that Joseph closes us out with an example of how to do it right. He showed us how to recover from a bad season, from trauma, from difficulty. Some of you have a trauma story. Your dad wasn't there for you, but God is still with you. So let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those who've heard this message. If you lifted their lives, may it inspire them to believe forward. For dads who failed, may they find strength to trust you again. And I believe, like Joseph taught us, you can redeem us. You can make us fruitful again. And so we declare that in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Pastor Ricky Temple. I love On Demand because On Demand puts the Word of God in your hand. See you next time right here on Demand where you can get a message just for you that might help inspire your life. See you next time. Bye-bye.